are in a series of lessons called His Story. And now for about the last three or four weeks, we've been working our way through the Great Commission, the uh, opening part of the book of Acts, the first sermon on the day of Pentecost, the people's response to that in Acts 2, 38 and 39 that you heard quoted this morning by some of the office staff. And we've been looking at how God's kingdom all at once came into the world in this powerful way with the descending of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit upon uh, those early believers and, of course, uh, upon all of those who obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, as you heard there in Acts 2.38 and 39. Today we come to that response and then what happened as a result of that response this again is Acts 2.41. This is the response when the people said, Men and brethren, what should we do? Peter said, Repent, be immersed, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, and you'll receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And notice what the text says, and this is from the Tree of Life translation. This is a Messianic Jewish translation. So those who received his message were immersed. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added. Now, if you go back to the NIV, you'll notice that it will say, and about 3,000 were added to their number. In other words, 3,000 in addition to the 120 that we began in Acts chapter 1 with. Now, what Luke is going to do in this text is he is going to describe how these early disciples responded to this concept that God's kingdom was breaking out in the world. In other words, Peter ended his sermon by saying, this same Jesus whom you've crucified, God has made both Lord and Messiah. Jesus ascended back to the right hand of God, was enthroned on the throne of David himself, and is going to remain there until every enemy of God is made his footstool. But here's the question. How is the kingdom of the Messiah to be lived out in the everyday life of us? I mean, we know Jesus is at the right hand of God. But what is it that we should be about? And Luke is writing 30 years later. Now, it's important that you understand this. Luke is writing over 30 years later. The gospel had already spread throughout the Roman Empire. And Paul is now under house arrest in Rome itself, the imperial city. He's waiting to appear before Caesar to proclaim the gospel to the emperor of the empire. And, of course, that particular emperor happened to be Nero. And, and one of the things that Luke does as he's reflecting on that 30-year period of time is what was the core principles that had led to this dynamic expansion, not just in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but it had gone all the way to Egypt, it had gone into Syria, it had gone up into Asia Minor, into Greece, and now was moving up the boot of Italy itself. What was it that caused this church, this gathering of people to explode like this? 
And, and Luke summarizes it in Luke chapter 2, verse 42, in a very simple way. And I'm afraid that what we do is that we come to the text, again, it's kind of like the way we come to Acts 2.38. You know, we focus so oftentimes on the wrong thing. Now, Acts 2.38 has a lot of things going on in it. That was our memory verse this past week. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We focus on that word, be baptized. It's kind of where our focus has always been. Can I tell you in the first century that wasn't their focus? Not at all. You see, everyone who was listening to Peter preach that day was already going to be immersed that day. If you weren't here last week, it's Pentecost. Jews have come from all over the empire. Why have they gathered? They're gathered to celebrate this wonderful feast of the Jews. And before going into the temple, every one of them is going to be immersed. You had to. You couldn't go into the temple without it. And so the question that day was not, are you going to be immersed? The question that day is, whose name are you going to be immersed into? You see, when Peter says, be baptized, be immersed in the name of Jesus the Messiah, that was the issue. Are you going to take a stand? Are you going to declare your faith in Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah of God who had been crucified 50 days earlier, but according to Peter, raised by God, where are you going to cast your lot? That was the question that day. Same is true in this verse. If we're not careful, we just read through it. Not, nice little diagram here of, of what the church ought to be uh, about, you know, while, while Jesus is reigning in heaven. But it's so much more than that. Notice the words. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, it's so easy to read that and say, okay, that makes sense. We get it. That's what we do as the people of God. But it's more than what we do. Notice the beginning of that verse. They devoted. That word devoted is a fascinating word in the Greek. It means to persevere, to continue steadfastly, to give constant attention to, to give unrelenting care to. You know, when I think about devotion of this level, I think about my relationship with June. I mean, that's the closest thing that maybe in my kids and my grandkids. I mean, devotion to God is similar to that commitment that those of us who are married made when we said, you know what, I do. I sometimes think that we really don't mean that, but we should. And I think we should mean it here when... when uh, Luke writes that they were devoted, they were committed, they gave unrelenting care to. And then he lays out the four areas that had been so instrumental in the church being what it had become. He begins with the apostles' teaching. Now it's easy for us to look at this and say, well, that's talking about dogma, religious doctrine. That's talking about the importance of us knowing what we believe as a church. Can I tell you that it does include that, but it includes so much more? You know, during the Supreme Court hearings, one of the big issues was about Judge Barrett's religious beliefs. What dogma did she believe 
personally and how would that affect her as a judge. And can I just tell you that when we read about the apostles' teaching here, we're not talking about my personal beliefs. We're talking about the beliefs that define my entire life. Personal, public, and everywhere else in between. Jesus would put it this way in the Greek Great Commission. He says, those you baptize, you need to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And all you've got to do is go back to passages like Matthew 5, 6, 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and listen to what Jesus challenged his hearers to be for you to understand that this is something that affects every aspect of our lives. John 16, 13, Jesus told the apostles, listen, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he's going to guide you into all truth. People sometimes will ask me when I'm, especially when I'm in a, in a you know, very vigorous debate with someone about what the Bible teaches. People will say, you think you're right on this, don't you? And of course my response is, and you don't? I mean, of course we think we're right. Why? Because truth matters. It really does. And here's Jesus saying, listen, I'm not going to, the Spirit's not going to guide you just into some truth. He's going to guide you into all truth. Every aspect about life itself. And then he goes on to say, and by the way, if you love me, you're going to follow those commandments I give you. That commitment is going to be there. That devotion is going to be there. Paul would put it this way, and I love the voices translation of this. He says, listen, don't allow this world to mold you into, this, into its image. You know, you go back to Genesis chapter 1, and one of the things about creation, the creation narrative, is that we are created in the image of God. And right now, there is a battle going on. And that battle is a very simple battle. Satan is trying to mold you into his image, the image of the world. And Jesus is trying to mold you into his image, the image of God. And you've got to make the decision. Which mold are you going to be poured into? Paul goes on and he says, Instead, be transformed from the inside out by the renewing of your mind. And he says, and if you do that, you'll be able to understand what God's will for your life is. Now that process of renewing the mind is a very simple process. It's a process about transforming the way Les Chapman thinks. Taking the things that he's thinking that's bad and getting rid of them and taking new things and putting them in their place. But now, Paul says, you must also rid yourself. And then he begins to list off things you need to get rid of out of your life. All of which begins right up here. And then he goes on to say, and clothe yourself. I got up this morning and I told June, I said, I feel like a sweater day. Feel like a sweater day. And I said, would you go and pick me out a sweater? And she says, thank you for asking me to do it. You know, I'm just not the best at that. You don't know how many times I'm walking out the door and June will look at me and then ask the stupidest question I've ever heard. Are you wearing that tie with that outfit? And of course I'm going, uh, no, I, I just put it on to irritate you. You know, I mean, of course I'm wearing it. And she's like, not today, you're not. 
You know, sometimes you need to allow someone else to clothe you. In this instance, of course, it's Jesus Christ himself. You know, if you know anything about computers, you know that, that the very heart of a computer is an operating system. Now, there are three major operating systems. You've got the Microsoft operating system, you've got the Mac operating system, and you've got the Linux operating system. That's kind of the three big ones as far as computers. You go to cell phones and you've got other operating systems. But in so many ways, that's exactly what is going on with us, not at a computer level, but at a life level. Everyone has an operating system that they're living by. And the question becomes, which one have you chosen? Now, a lot of us don't choose one. We just simply let it happen. And can I tell you that if you just let it happen, the results are usually not very good? I mean, we've got to be deliberate people about what operating system we're living by. And, of course, what Jesus says is this. It's his story. It's his life, his teaching, his truth. lost my mother about two years ago. And, and I loved my mom dearly, but mom had some interesting traits about her. One was that she hated instructions. I mean, if something came with instructions, my mother would take the instructions, throw them away, and then try to figure out how to operate the device. And one of my favorite stories was when June and I, we had just gotten married. My mama was into quilting, and so she had bought a new sewing machine. And I don't know if it was this model, but it was an older, one of the early computerized Singer models. And she had gotten it in the mail, you know, it had been delivered, and she was so excited. June and I were there at the house that weekend. And she goes and she unpacks this new sewing machine, and she sets it on the table, and she plugs it in, and she begins to run the thread in it, and then she starts trying to sew with it without never reading, ever reading the instructions. And the next thing June is watching is mom's pushing buttons and turning knobs and then mom starts complaining. This thing doesn't work like they said it should. And June's looking at me going, wonder why? I mean, you know, why does your mother not read the instructions? I said, because mom doesn't read instructions. And a lot of us don't. We simply choose not to listen to what God is calling us to be. And can I pause for a moment and say never, perhaps never, that may be too strong of a word, but at least for a long time, the question of what drives you, what guides you, what leads you, has never been more important than it is right now in our nation. We're watching a nation, what happens to a nation when it moves away from its spiritual foundation. I mean, I hear people say, what's happening to America? I know what's happening to America. I mean, all you got to do is just look back and see as Americans have abandoned their faith, as people are basically saying, you know what? I don't know if there is a God anymore. If there is a God, I sure don't know which God it is. And basically, they're deciding to live according to their own standard, if there even is a standard in their life. And then we all step back and ask, what in the world's going on? And let me say something that I've said repeatedly. Uh, I, I'm apolitical. 
If somebody comes up to me and say, are you Republican or Democrat? I'm Christian. I was out driving yesterday and I saw all kind of signs when I was out driving. I mean, you had Trump 2020, Biden 2020. I came across a sign I finally liked. It said Jesus 2020. That's the one I like. You see, my citizenship is first and foremost in heaven. My American citizenship is simply secondary. The Apostle Paul was a Roman citizen, but Paul, in writing to a Roman colony at Philippi, a colony populated by ex-soldiers of all things, said, listen, you need to know something about where your citizenship is. It's not in Rome. It is in heaven. Now, it's not that you can't be an American citizen or a Roman citizen. Paul used it to his advantage when it advanced the gospel. But Paul says, I need you to know where my loyalty is, and my loyalty is to King Jesus. And my loyalty is to King Jesus. It's not to Washington. It's not to London. It's not to Moscow. It's not to any other capital in the world. It is to heaven itself, to Jesus who sits at the right hand of God. And if that doesn't come first, you need to step back and ask yourself what operating system you're operating on. Because if Jesus is not first, it is not the Christian operating system. But I want you to, rem- I want you to know something. Jesus says, when you follow my way, for all that I require of you will be pleasant and easy to bear. It's a system that works. As June said to me, you know, if your mom would just read the instructions, the sewing machine would do what they claimed it will do. And the same is true of us as Christians. He then said that we've got to be devoted to the fellowship. And the fellowship's this right here. It's us. The Greek word is koinonia, and it's a word that means association, community, communion, joint participation, sharing. It, it sometimes is used, the word is used of the very communion that we took a few moments ago, but it's about the communion there that creates the communion here. And at the very heart of this communion is being a part of something bigger than ourselves. You know, America is a, is a country of individualism. Christianity is not. Christianity is a faith that says we're all interconnected. The the, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you. Paul would go on to talk about all the different parts of the body and how that they all belong. And not only do they belong, but they also deserve to be loved as they love each other. When Jesus said a new commandment I give you, it's not just a new commandment. It is without the doubt the most important commandment he could give his church, which is somehow you've got to learn to love one another and be devoted to that love. Now let me say a word about love. Love is about caring about people who are different from you and people who who may struggle with problems that you don't struggle with. Love is about caring because of what we share in common, which is we have the same God who is our Heavenly Father. You know, if you're looking for a perfect fellowship, Hendersonville is not it. Keep looking. If you're looking for a perfect preacher, I'm not it. You need to keep looking. If you're looking for a perfect staff, we don't have it here. We've got, I think, a wonderful staff, but we're not perfect. And I'm the leader of the imperfection in it. If you're looking for perfect elders, this church doesn't have it. I've had people tell me, I'm going to find a church that doesn't have any problems. Find that church. I want to see it. 
Because the moment you join it, it's got its first problem. You see, when I, I preached on 1 Corinthians last year, so oftentimes I hear people say, boy, look at the church at Corinth and how messed up it was. The church at Corinth wasn't messed up. The church at Corinth was the church. Every church looks like that. We look like that. And that's why Jesus is still working in our lives and why here Luke is saying, listen, you've got to be devoted to this group of imperfect people to love them, to struggle with them. You know, I think of marriage. You know, I thought when I got marriage, that, uh, married that June was perfect. I, I discovered a few days later she wasn't. You know, I mean, the first time she cooked a meal for me. And June's watching right now, so I know I'm in trouble. But, but the first time, I, she cooked a meal for me. I sat down at the table. June came in with supper, and she poured a bowl of elbow macaroni, uh, in, or she pulled a, a pot of elbow mac macaroni in a bowl on the table. And she said, dig in. And I said, that's boiled macaroni. She said, yeah. I said, what do we have to go with it? And she said, we're not having anything to go with it. We're having boiled macaroni. And I said, we don't have anything to put on it. She said, well, we've got butter. And it was at that moment in time, I'm like, man, she's not perfect. You know, I said, baby, I love macaroni, but don't you have some meat sauce somewhere? And she's like, why would you want to ruin perfectly good macaroni with meat sauce? And I'm like, we're going to have some problems. Now, can I tell you that macaroni is wonderful? Bold by itself with a little butter on it. If you don't believe me, go up here to Demonses. They make a fortune off of it. Brown buttered noodles. And so June's taught me how to love that. So maybe I wasn't as perfect as I thought I was. Hebrew writer, and, and I love the Passion Translation, said, this is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together. They were going through a very difficult time in Judea at that time. And he said, listen, we, we need to stay together. We need to be committed to the fellowship. And then the breaking of bread. You know, I, I don't know how you say anything more than, than how the early church actually dis described communion. They actually called it a love feast. You see it in Jude chapter 1 verse 12. And, and while that name kind of faded off as time passed and we became, you know, it became known as the Lord's Supper Communion, it really is about loving God and loving one another. It's about remembering what Jesus did for us at Calvary and not just remembering it but being devoted to it so that it inspires everything that we are and everything that we do. I love this old song by Fanny J. Crosby. I was talking to John Micah. I've got to tell this one on John Micah. I said, John Micah, do you know who Fanny J. Crosby is? And he said, of course I know who he is. George, don't you like that one? I said, uh, evidently you don't because, first of all, it's not a he, it's a she. And he's like, oh, that Fanny J. Crosby. I said, yes. Wrote many of the songs in our book. Fanny J. Crosby was blind. Basically became blind shortly after birth. And, and then would write so many of the hymns that are in our hymn book. I want you to listen to these words. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain, free to all, a healing stream, flows from Calvary's mountain. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. Boy, if there's a point we need to hear, that's it. Till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. And then listen to this verse. From a blind songwriter near the cross 
O Lamb of God. Bring its scenes before me. I've never talked to someone who is blind how they how they are able to visual I mean that word doesn't even make sense how do you visualize scenes when you're blind how do you know what blue is or what red is or what a tree is and here's Fanny J. Crosby as she's writing this beautiful song and saying somehow God even to me a blind person bring its scenes before me help me walk from day to day with its shadow she doesn't even know what a shadow is and yet she says, would you bring that o'er me? Is it the cross that unites us? Early church met on the first day of the week. Acts 27 talks about that. Uh, Paul preaching until midnight on this particular occasion. But they met because it was the breaking of bread that had brought them together. And then finally, prayer. Go back to Acts 1.14 and the early church was devoted to prayer. You go over to Acts chapter 6 and you have the apostles saying, listen, while waiting tables are important, we can't spend our time waiting tables. We need to be devoted to the word and to prayer. And then you get texts like 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, pray continually. By the way, that word there, pray continually, goes back to this idea of being devoted. Same basic word being used there. And I love 1 Timothy 2 passage that defines especially where we are in this point in history here's what Paul says I urge then first of all that petitions prayers intercessions thanksgiving be made for all people for all of them for kings and all of those in authority who should we be praying for right now let me tell you who we should be praying for we should be praying for Donald Trump we should be praying for Mike Pence we should be praying for Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, for anyone who's running for office. Praying that God will use them to bring peace to our country. Look at what he says, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And then verse 3 and 4 tells us why. Why do we need our country to be peaceful? So that all people can come to the knowledge of the truth. The gospel spreads when we have peace in the world. We have the ability to share it. And that's why prayer is so important. This Tuesday, the 20th, is what we are calling Prayer 2020. And, and, and I hope on Tuesday you'll pause sometime that day to pray for the church, to pray for our country, to pray for all of those running for political office, to pray for the well-being of our world. But most of all, to pray that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if you have a social media account of some kind, why don't you post part of your prayer this week? Simply say, today we're praying for our, our, our world. And then post some of what you pray. It will be the best thing you could do for our country, I promise you, than anything else that you do. Let's pray right now. Father, you ask us to be devoted to you. We pray that we will. May we be devoted to what your son taught us, continues to teach us through your spirit. 
May we be devoted to one another in deep love as he loved us. May we be devoted to the breaking of the bread, Father, and the importance of that in our lives. And Father, may we be devoted to this avenue of prayer. And Father, we pray for our world, for our nation, but most of all for our church and your church all around the world. May we be about the business of the King and may we change the world through the power of Jesus Christ so that your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all please stand as we sing one more song.